I received this note a little over a week ago from one of our viewers in the great state of Georgia, and I want to thank, last week I read a letter from someone in Pennsylvania, this week I'm reading a letter from some uh, in, in Georgia, and I just want to thank all of you that are watching from all over the country. We appreciate you joining us for worship each Sabbath. But this is what uh, this lady wrote. Hey, I listened to your sermon last week and was blessed by it. It left me wondering, though, wh what that actually looks like practically. What does it look like practically to be a good Samaritan? Do you have some things that you are practically doing to make a difference or that you would recommend? So today's sermon is to attempt to answer the practical question of what it means to be a good Samaritan with the Bible as our guide. Of course, we can even follow the example of the Good Samaritan story itself of, of the Good Samaritan uh, being willing to give resources and, and take the time and, and physically help the individual that is hurting on the side of the road. But, but, but what are some other practical things that we can do? And I want to look at this question today with the Bible as our guide. And I'm going to share with you just two points where you can start. I think rather than giving you a ton of things, I'm just going to give you two points Kind of broad, but two points, and you can incorporate them how you like, of where we can start today, all of us, and then a third that we corporately can start working towards together. So let's start in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, and it says, Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. We use an entire uh, sentence to translate just a couple words that are there in the Greek. And one of those words you know well, especially if you live in this region, and I'm sure everywhere actually, uh, Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia, of course, it is one of the major cities within our country. And we translate this and we know this word, even without Bible knowledge, means brotherly love. We translate it brotherly love because it is the combination of two words, phileo, love, and adelphos, brother. Our neighbors to the north live in the city that is referred to as the city of brotherly love. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love, but, but it has the, the, the connotation, the, the larger exp expanse of meaning to love someone like us, to love someone like us. But in verse 2, it reads, in this way, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Love those like you. Continue to love those like you. Now, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And in that verse... There is actually a word that we translate hospitality, and just over the years it's come to be translated as hospitality, showing hospitality to strangers or entertaining strangers, however your version may say it. But it is the word actually philozenia, the first in, in the first uh, verse, Philadelphia, in the second word, the word philozenia, again made up of two Greek words, phileo, love, and xenos where we get our words, our word xenophobia, a fear of, of foreigners or a fear of strangers. But, but 
philozenius, which we call hospitality, is basically the Bible saying, love people who are different from you. Verse 1, continue to love those who are like you. Verse 2, but make sure you're loving those who are different than you. That is a step that we should be taking as good Samaritans, is a step that we should be taking as followers of Jesus. We should look at our lives and we should say, are we loving not only those that are like us, but are we also seeking to love and engage those that are different than us? And we need to dig even a little deeper into this word and, and the, the profundity of this word. The root for the word hospitality, then that we translate hospitality, phileo, love, philozenius, uh, is important for us to understand. A quick review for some of you out there who may not realize this, but in the Greek there are, there are multiple uh, ways of saying love. And in the Bible there are three uh, key ways, agape, phileo, and storge. These are the three references to love in the Bible. Agapao, when it's talking, of course, about the love of God. But the two that we know best and speak about most are agape love and phileo love. Agape love is what we refer to as an unconditional love. It is more about how we love someone because they are the image bearer of Christ. Like a Christian would say, I love all humanity. Well, they don't actually know all humanity, but they love all humanity because they recognize that, that all are made in the image of Christ. So I, as a Christian, am to have agape love for everyone. Agape love is also the type of love that we refer to towards, say, our children. This means that no matter what happens, we are going to love them. The Bible speaks of this love when it says, by all this by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People I don't like, I have agape love for. I may not like them. I may not have even a relationship with them. But I have agape love for them because they are also an image bearer of Christ. But phileo love is different. Phileo, uh, the phileo that type of love, is different. C.S. Lewis referred to phileo, the, the love that we refer to in the Greek as phileo as the least natural of loves. It is the least natural of loves. It is the least natural because it is not organic. And it is not necessary just based on commitment. It is not based on biological love or Christian commitment. Phileo, it is a love that is developed, listen to this, it is a love that is developed through effort, through companionship and relationship built. You might remember that at the end of the book of John, Jesus is walking with one of his disciples, Peter, and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And they ask him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. Well, the first two times Jesus asked Peter this question, he uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? Do you have just a commitment as a believer and love me? 
Yes. Do you have a commitment as a believer and love me? Yes. And then the third time that Jesus asks Peter this question, he uses the word phileo. What is he saying to Peter? Peter, I don't just want you to love me because you understand who I am. I want you to love me because you have a deeper connection and companionship and relationship with me. That's phileo. It is a love that is developed over time through effort, through companionship and relationships built. In the context of what is going on in our world right now, I can say I love all people, black, brown, and white, and all the hues in between. But I am not being obedient to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 by simply just loving humanity as a collective whole. Do not neglect to show Philozenos, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Unless I have actually developed a, a deeper companionable friendship with individuals or those groups of people that are different from me, I am not following Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. A step in living as the greatest Samaritan Jesus did is to get to know people that are different than us. That means people of different political views. That means people of different, of different races as well. I would challenge you to ask yourself this question. No matter what color you are, but I will say now I'm thinking about myself as a white person. Do I have any phileo, deep companionable friendships with anyone who is black or in some cases brown. Anyone of a different race. I would encourage my black brothers and sisters to ask the same question. Do I have any phileo, any deep companionable friendships with anyone who is white? If we are going to overcome the racial tensions in our church, in our society, then we must move beyond loving others because that is our Christian duty, agape love, to a position of loving others because we have come into relationship with them. We have developed and built companionship with them, phileo love. And all this is summed up in the word hospitality. Hospitality. Now we know what hospitality is. It is bringing people into our lives, into our homes, doing the little things for people to, to help build relationships. I think of my own wife who about three weeks ago when all this started, she made banana bread for, for the African-Americans within our community and she took that to them with a car just saying, we love you, we're praying for you, we want to be here for you. Little things to begin to build relationship, to begin to build connection to others that are different than us. A quick example. When I was a freshman in high school, I would say that I was not one who uh, had the greatest spirit towards African Americans. In fact, I know I had a downright bad spirit. And part of it was that I hung out with a group of people. And at that time where we were at, the big popular thing was to wear Doc Martens with white or red laces in your shoes. If you wore red laces, it meant white power. If you wore 
white laces. It meant white pride. And, and this was something that was going on in our school. And many of us were wearing our Doc Martens with those laces. And, and I would write on my notebook, WP for white pride. And, and, and I was one day sitting at a picnic table at the school and I was carving into this table actually a WP for white pride into this table. I was just sitting there carving this, this WP in there. I'd, I had been kicked out of a study hall in the library permanently and no one told me where else to go so I ended up just spending every afternoon or three days a week actually where that study hall was at this picnic table. And one day while I was carving that WP in that table and I was just sitting there doing that. This junior, I was a freshman, this junior, she came up and she sat down next to me and she began to talk to me and her name was Danielle. And she said, what are you doing? And she saw kind of what I was doing and she knew who my friends were and, and some of the people there in California that I hung out with. And she looked at it and she goes, that's so stupid. And I was kind of annoyed with her. Why was she sitting there? But every Monday and Wednesday, whenever I was there for that where I was supposed to be in study hall, but I was now sitting at the picnic table, she came and she sat down and she would visit with me. Danielle was an African-American. She was the, in some ways, the first African-American friend that I personally had. There was African-Americans in our lives because of my parents' friendship, but the first African-American that, friend that I had. And as she was so kind to me and, and gracious to me in spite of my clear prejudices and biases, through her kindness and, and graciousness, my view began to shift. My view began to shift, and over time, my view on, on race relations and, and, and race conflict began to change based on this one friendship. Now, some would see me as, a, as an advocate for for racial equality and, 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 and in the black community, I have a number of friends now that are, but it, but it began with this one relationship, building phileo love with this one individual, Danielle. Out of that one friendship, my heart grew for an entire group of people. If you have biases towards a particular people group and you know that's wrong, Go and begin working on making a significant friend with someone from that group. Begin to get to know them. Start to love them and care for them. And watch how your love for the greater community will grow. Watch how your love for the greater community will grow. A second step of the Good Samaritan, and for Good Samaritans, I believe, is to live by the principle of Proverbs 31.8. Remember, we're just talking about Two things that we can individually do. One is begin to develop a friendship. Not just, well, I love all people. I love brown. I love black. I love, I love every color and race. Don't, no, not just that. But, but build phileo love, companionable love, relationship love, friendship love with someone. But then the second thing that we can immediately start doing is found in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 8. Proverbs Chapter 31 and verse 8. And of course, many people know Proverbs 31 because they love to quote the ending about a godly woman who honors the Lord. But Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 8 begins in this way. It says, 
Open your mouth, mine says, open your mouth for the mute. I like the NIV better, which says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs begins with, with these words, verse 1. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. So what is written in Proverbs 31 is counsel for someone in power. It's a king thinking out these ideas that he was taught. And the king is writing, inspired by God, to remind us that when we are in positions, he's in a position of authority, when we are in positions of authority, when we are the dominant group, I would say, it is our responsibility to speak up and speak out against the wrongs that we see, to use our voice, to use our, uh, uh, to use, yes, our vote, to use our action to speak for those that may feel that they don't have a voice or a stronger voice. Now to some of us, and to some of you, this might seem ridiculous to relate this to race, especially in the 21st century, because many people look around and and they see many people of, of, of color speaking up. But this still relates to people in the 21st century. Whether we realize it or not, even if everybody gets to speak, there is still a voice that is more dominant. And that is from the white community. Can I share some sound bites I received after I preached my first sermon in this series on the Good Samaritan? Here's some things that, that I heard. I've prayed for a sermon like this to be preached for years. I did not think I would ever hear such a thing from Spencerville. What about this one? For the first time in my life, I feel heard by my church. Thank you for speaking out. Another one. It has been a long time since I felt there was voice to my experience. Thank you, Pastor Chad. A fourth one. I have hope in my church. I needed this sermon. And then what about this one a little bit longer than the others? Thanks for speaking out because with such issues, it really does take those with privilege, unfortunately, to be the ones who start to turn the tide. All those statements, listen to me, all those statements were written by black members of our church. Those are people that I've heard speak I've heard share their opinions. They are, they are not mute. But something in our midst, even in the midst of our church, makes these individuals feel like on these issues they cannot speak freely and that they needed someone else to speak on their behalf. Or, or someone else to add their voice to their voices which we're already calling out. Those were all members of our local church saying for the first time I feel like someone spoke to my experience. This is the first time I feel like I've been heard and, and someone is giving voice to what I'm going through. Thank you so much for saying something. Unfortunately, it still takes the voices of privilege to bring about true change. We in the white community, in our local church, and many churches 
around the nation are the dominant community. And so when these issues arise, we can't just say, well, we'll let our black brothers and sisters speak and we'll stay silent. It is our duty to speak up. When, when, there's, when there's jokes made, when there's, when there's inferences made about people of other races and, and of other uh, uh, genders, it is our duty to speak up, to not laugh or brush off the racial insensitivities and say, well, you know, that's not really a big deal. It is our duty to speak up. Now, this will become much easier if we have friends that are in that community because then we'll be able to say, you know what? I've come to know that community and I love them and I care for them. Folks, this is not just something that I feel. This was something that, that Ellen White felt strongly about and she understood this. Listen to something she wrote. She said, I know that what I, that I know that that which I now speak will bring me into conflict. She's about to talk about something of racial issues. It caused conflict in her day and nearly 130 years after she wrote these words, speaking about these issues still draws conflict. Conflict for me, conflict for anybody else that speaks about them. But here's what she said. I know that that which I now speak will bring me into conflict. This I do not covet. She says, I don't want conflict. For the conflict has, been, been, has seemed to be continuous of late years. But then listen to this. But I do not mean to live a coward or die a coward, leaving my work undone. I must follow my master's footsteps. It has become fashionable to look down upon the poor and upon the colored race in particular. But Jesus, the master, was poor and he sympathizes with the poor, the discarded, the oppressed, and declares that every insult shown to them is as if it is shown to him himself. She said, I won't die a coward. Who is she calling a coward? Those that will not speak up for the marginalized or the voiceless or the less dominant groups of society, those with less power. She says, I'm not going to be a coward and stay silent in the midst of all this. I will speak up. She felt so strongly about speaking out for causes of justice that she wrote this when someone complained about issues of race being written about in the review and in the signs of the times. And hold on to your hats because this is this is an intense statement. I've never seen this before. I received a letter yesterday from one of your number, Brother Grayson, whom I love and respect as a child of God. She's saying, look, he sent me this letter. I, she's about to not agree with the letter, just so you know. But she's saying, I love and respect him as a child of God. And all those that have disagreed with me, I love and I respect them as children of God. Nevertheless, she says, I was pained by the contents of the letter. She said, I called for the signs and carefully read Elder Wagner's article and reread it. E.J. Wagner had written an a article about race, and now she is saying this is what they were complaining about. Elder Grayson and some in this church were complaining about. Uh, and she says, I got the, the issue on this, this article on race in Signs of the Times. And she said, I read it and I reread it. And here is what she says. Listen to this. This is intense. 
I came to the conclusion if any one of southern or northern sentiments could take exception to that article, anything they might read in the review or the signs would do them no good. She says, if you take exception to us speaking up on this issue, then everything else we have to write is of no good to you. If our pens and our voices are to be silent when principles of justice and righteousness in warnings or reproofs are at stake because someone's, because someone or someone's, an individual or plural, believers or unbelievers are so sensitive, bigoted, and prejudiced that their peculiar political sentiments cannot be in any manner referred to, that class will have to be thoroughly converted to God and their sentiments reformed. She said, we feel now, she's talking about her as a prophet in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the, and the literature coming out from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We feel now called upon to speak decidedly. By the way, this was generations or decades after the Civil War. We feel now called upon to speak decidedly. We shall speak and write guardedly but shall not withhold such matters as are expressed in the signs of the times to which you make reference. She said, I have been shown that there were feelings and views with many who professed the faith at Woodland, which were not in accordance with the word of God. The political sentiments, Woodland was the church that this man was a part of, and this is where that letter came from. The political sentiments and feelings were very strong with some, and this is the reason why they do not grow in grace and the knowledge of truth. They are offended at any reference to their peculiar sentiments. What she's saying here is that these people are offended if there's anything that challenges their political perspectives on a particular idea. She said, it cannot be that our papers can be printed with no word or reference to anything which will differ from the political uh, sentiments of some. She's just being practical. She's saying, whatever we print is ultimately going to be challenging to some if they're actually going to write about the real issues of the day. These political sentiments with anyone or more believers or unbelievers, if irritated or stirred by such an article as you refer to, I fear they will be of no use to us. The less we have of them, the better off we shall be as a people. Did you catch that? That's intense. Ellen White expressed feelings so strongly about speaking out about tough issues of justice. And in this case, it was specifically about race. She said that if people had a problem with such issues and the church speaking up on behalf of those issues, she said the people that took issue with such sentiments or that could not handle having such sentiments expressed in opposition to their views, either they needed to get rid of those views or they needed to get, be less sensitive or her third option is that the church would be better off without those people. That is how strongly the pioneers of our church felt about speaking up and speaking out 
for such issues as we are going through now. Two things that all of us can start doing today. Welcome someone different into our homes, into our lives, to begin to know them and to hear their story. And in so doing, you will begin to practice philozenius, to love of the different. Keep practicing brotherly love, love of the same, but begin practicing philozenius, love of the different. And the second thing all of us can begin doing right now, even just in words of affirmation, taking banana bread to a neighbor, begin to speak up for the groups in our midst that do not have a strong voice. When biblical justice, biblical justice, Jesus justice is at stake. But there is one last thing that we can do. And is that item which we can begin to work on corporately together. And that is corporate worship. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 7. Verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is a worship scene in heaven. A multitude, the Bible says, no one can number, made up of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That means made up of all colors and all races and all demographics, worshiping together. I think we need to start practicing here on earth. And since the greatest level of non-integrated community that still seems to exist is within the church, as one preacher said, he's a Sunday preacher, that Sunday morning is the most segregated, Sunday morning is the most segregated day of the week. We could say likewise about Sabbath. But since the greatest level of non-integrated worship is between the black and the white community, this week I've already spoken with, with one of the pastors from Emmanuel Brinklow to begin to put dates on a calendar that, that when we regather, that we will take some intentional moments to regather and worship together. Not not to discuss race or to have a debate or to have a summit or even to have a prayer vigil, which was very nice like we had the other day, but just to practice what is going to be going on in heaven, standing around the throne of God together and saying glory and might and power to the name of Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Y'all, 2020 is, is moving us every day, literally, of course, but but also in a setup for the last happenings of Earth's history. A pandemic, racial conflict, shocking Supreme Court decisions. What is next? 
We don't have time to be fighting amongst ourselves. We must be good Samaritans. We must build relationships and companionship with one another, no matter these differences. We must speak up for one another. We must be willing to challenge the louder voices. And we must worship with one another so that the world can see the fullness and the goodness and the glory and the love and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through His body, the body of all nations, all races, all tongues, all people, His church, for now and forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for calling us to be good Samaritans. And there are so many things that we can do, but Lord, just... Just today, maybe individually, we think about our lives and we ask the question, do I have a close friend who is different than me, who is not like me? And maybe not, not in the sense of they're loud and I'm quiet, but, but in the sense of they're from a whole different culture, a whole different world than me. In the sense of they, they see things politically completely different than me. Do I have a friend like that, Lord? And if not, bring someone into my life that I may begin to see them, not just with the, the larger agape love of loving all humanity, but, but as you said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you have phileo love for me? Have you gotten to know me at the deeper companionship, relationship level? Lord, may we go there with one another and may it draw our community closer. And Lord, the second thing we can do, may we speak up. Just because others speak does not mean that their voice, our voices do not need to be added to theirs. May we be like Ellen White and like the pioneers and say, our voices will not be silenced. Our pen and our paper will not be, be closed to the issues at hand. We will speak, we will write, we will act for biblical justice. And finally, Lord, may we make a commitment to do that which we should do and which we will do in heaven, to worship with one another the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.